tell you, start with a little bit of my background in church. Uh, I know a lot of you uh, were Catholic as you grow up, and other, other backgrounds as well, of course. But I grew up in what would be called, and there still are, fundamentalist churches, fundamentalist Baptist churches. Um, early in my life, I was taught that holiness was all about keeping the rules. And, and in the Bible, there are a lot of them, and you know that. And these rules were in there, and some of them were not in there. Um, they were more like traditions, or as one pastor told me when I was a kid, that they're guardrails. You know, guardrails keep you from going off the road. And uh, so that's what these were made for. They were rules that weren't in the Bible, and they weren't necessarily commandments, but they were for your good, I was told, and, and they often were, um, for helping me not to break the rules or get closer to breaking the rules that perhaps I should have. And jokingly, when I was a kid, we didn't come up with it, but we, someone taught us that the holiness credo was, we do not smoke, drink, and chew, and go with girls that do. Um, <laughs> that was a little bit way of making light of it a little bit. But you know, we had boy rules uh, for the boys. You had to have your hair a certain cut and length, you know. Um, even in our Christian school, they had a pencil that would go behind your ear to make sure it wasn't touching your ear because that wasn't right. Um, girls always had to wear dresses. They couldn't wear slacks. Um, you definitely couldn't date, much less a lost person. We didn't have, I know this is antiquated a little bit for me, to talk, mixed bathing. Have you ever heard that term? Um, swimming together with girls and guys, right? We weren't allowed to do that. I couldn't go to movies, although I did. Um, and then girls wore culottes. And we used to joke in, in Bible college that there was a Greek word named culottes. It really wasn't, but it sounded more official and holy. And so they were supposed to wear culottes. I even had a girl in my youth group when I was a youth pastor who wore, this is out in the wintertime when we went sledding, she wore ski pants and then culottes over the ski pants. <laughs> that, that's how seriously they took those, those rules. We, of course, went all the services, and we only used the King James Version Bible, and, and on and on. There was a lot of rules. And some of them were good, and some of them not so good. Um, but the problem was, really, beyond some of the rules themselves, was that I was taught that holiness was something I achieved by being a rule keeper. Um, and, and obviously that went along with it, not being a rule breaker. And so what I began to do, and what a lot of kids did and adults did as well, is I measured the level of my spirituality by how well I kept all the rules. Um, as a result, um, my holiness became something that was almost completely external. In other words, I was okay if I had my hair cut the right way, I wore the right clothes, did the right thing, showed up at the right time, used the right Bible, didn't say this bad word, didn't go to this mood. So on the outside, I, I began to think that that's what it meant to please God, that I just did all those things. Now, if I, I, I may not have had any heart for him. I may not even wanted to read his word, pray hardly ever, talk to anyone about Christ. I, I, I couldn't control my temper, and you could be filled with lust, but as long as externally you kept all the rules, then you fit in because there was a box that you had to be in in this kind of holiness. And, and what I came to realize later in life is that holiness has rules. I mean, you can't get around it. I mean, there are 613 commands 
in the Old Testament, and there are even more in the New Testament. So it's not that holiness doesn't have rules, because it absolutely does. There are things that God says you should do, and there are things that you should not do. But what I came to realize is that holy habits can never be a substitute for a holy heart. Never. And I found out this, that rules have to be lived out in the context of a relationship. And that's what I think this text teaches. Um, there are, in our passage, and if you look there with me at the text in verses 41 through 45, there are, in four, a space of four verses, there are five shall nots. <laughs> All right? And believe me, I'm only touching the tip of the iceberg because if you read Leviticus as a whole, if you never have, you should, but if you have, you'll know this, that you get tired of how many shall nots there are. I mean, there are literally tons of them about the, some, in our mind, 21st century, come the craziest things. I mean, in this one, you can't eat swarming things that swarm on the ground as if I would. <laughs> right? And they're there. Verse 41, things that swarm on the ground, it shall not be eaten. I go, easy, I'm holy on that one. Check it off. <laughs> Verse 42, things that go on, it, on their belly, all fours, Okay? I'm not going home this afternoon and having my cat for lunch. I guarantee you. It's an easy one. Check it off. 43, you shall not make yourselves, and, and it says, and then you shall not defile yourself. So you can't make yourself unholy by doing something unclean, and you can't defile yourself. And that's what holiness is, is when you're unclean, when you are corrupted, you are defiled. And then verse 44 Again, you shall not defile your... So you get it, don't you? I mean, you shall not, shall not, shall... I mean, there are five of them. I mean, right? And this is just a sampling of them all. And at first glance, when you read that, or you put it in the context of all Leviticus, here's the conclusion you might come to, that Leviticus is just a manual for fundamentalist holiness. Maybe where you grew up, Pastor Walker, maybe that was totally right. It's just a long list of shall nots. And if I just stop from doing all the bad things in life, then I could be holy. But I want to remind you what Leviticus is really all about. Number one, it's about being holy like God. And remember, number two, that it's not just being holy like God is, but stop being unholy like the Canaanites who are around you. All right? So it's, so it's a combination. And here's the thing. To be holy, we got to have both. And we have to have them in that order. In other words, obedience to the shall nots in the Bible, the rules, the commandments, Here's what God says. It should flow out of a relationship with me. So keeping the rules of God, hear me, keeping the rules of God are absolutely necessary, but they have to be an expression of your relationship with God, not the way that you relate to Him. In other words, I don't have a relationship with God because I keep His commandments. No, I keep His commandments because I have a relationship with God. So I'm not trying to earn the relationship. I'm trying not to merit his favor. I'm not performing. And I'm not doing it for anyone else's applause. You know why I keep God's commandments and I'm excited to do so? And as 1 John 5, 4 says, they're not burdensome to me. You know why I, I, I like to do them? Because I love him. Now we're going to find out that that's only possible because he first loved us. So there are two things. Holiness, let me show you this. First, holiness is first about a relationship with God, and then it is about the rules of God. Relationship, and then the rules. Not the other way around. 
And Leviticus gives us two key factors that I want you to remember as you go through this week and try to practice holiness in your context, in your life, in your family, at your job, with your neighbors, with your struggles, and your problems. And these two, what I call relational reasons... Here's God's going to give you, let me tell you, with all these things, don't eat the swarming things on the ground. Don't eat the four-footed creature. Four, don't do all these things. And many, many more. Here's why you can't, you should keep the rules, God's going to say. Two relational reasons. Okay? And they're both marked off by the word F-O-R. Can you see them? The first one's in verse 44, and the second one is in verse 45. And they start with it. See it? Here's, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Now here's the reason, verse 44. For, see it? Circle it. And then look at verse 45. For, there are two reasons. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, here, re, re, stay with me because I want to show you what the text is like and then we're going to delve into it. This, these two verses are parallel. They say virtually the same thing and the little differences about how they are not the same is the key point. Let me show you what I'm saying. Let me show you the things that are the same. They both start with the word for. They both have the phrase in it, for I am the Lord. They both have a therefore in it. And they both say this, be holy for I am holy. So a lot of the phrases and a lot of the words in them are identical. And a lot of them are in the exact same order. But between all the things that are the same, there's some phrases that explain the difference. All right? So we're going to give two relational reasons and the first four is this. Keep God's rules because of who he is. That's number one. Because of who he is. Here's what he says. Verse 44. For I am the Lord. What does that mean? He's God. That's what it means. That's who he is. Now, what is the one thing that describes God as being God more than any other thing? Well, he says it very clearly to us. For I am holy. I am set apart. I am unique. There's a moral part to that. Yes, he's sinless and morally pure. He is. But that, the main thing is he's set apart. He's unique. In other words, you know why you should keep all my rules? Because I am God and you are not. So it's an identity statement. It means that God is distant from you. He is not like you. He is different in almost every possible way that you could think of. He's way out there, and you're way over here. We might say it this way. He's unapproachable because he's God, because he's holy. He has no equals. And we looked last week at Nadab and Abihu, and he should be feared because if you don't keep his rules as God, there are consequences to it, he says. So why should we keep God's rules? Because they are reflections of God's character, who he is. So rules come from who God is. Secondly, God is not only transcendent, meaning he's a God that's not like anybody else, but here's another part about who God is. He's also imminent. Look what the other Bible says, other verse says. For I am the Lord, see, well, look at verse 44. I am the Lord, your God. Look at it again. Verse 45. For I am the Lord, and he says a few other things. He says, and you know why? I redeemed you out of Egypt to be personal pronoun, your God. So let me give you the picture of why you should keep God's rules. First relational reason, because of who he is. Well, Pastor, Pastor Walker, he's this distant God, and he's out there, and I don't know how to relate to that. I don't know how to do that every day. Well, here's what he else is like. He's your God. See, he's not just the God. Oh, he is. 
He is the God, the only God. But he says, here's what I want you to know if you know me. I'm your God. See, this God comes with a personal pronoun. He's yours. It's covenant language. So God is out there, and he's distant. But you know, he's also up here, and he's close. In one sense, God is unapproachable because of who he is. But now he says, I want you to know, I'm approachable. I'm your God. See, you really can't come near me, but I'm going to make a way that you can come near me. He wants you to know that he's close, that he does understand what you go through. And here's what he's saying. Because of who I am, I want to have a relationship with you because I'm your God. Now, you might say, Pastor Walker, why is that important? How does that help me out? Really, how does that work for me? Well, what we're going to find in more details probably next week, and I can't go more, but I'm going to give you an example today, is the pattern of who God is, transcendent and imminent, far away and close, authority, help, loving, compassion. That combination is the pattern in which you're to relate to everybody else. We're going to read another use of be holy for I am holy in Leviticus 19. And what's going to surprise you is that whole chapter... Back, in fact, the first time in the Bible it says love your neighbor is that chapter. And in it, it tells you this, that when you follow the fact that God is holy and you'll be holy, here's what will be true. That when you do your harvest in Israel, leave the edges of your crop because poor people need to eat and you need to let them have yours. He's going to tell you that when you hire someone, give them honest wages and don't try to rip people off. You need to be a just person. When someone makes you mad and angry, you can't take out vengeance on them. You need to have morality, unlike the Canaanites around you. In your marriage, you need to be faithful to your spouse. He's going to tell you that when people get elderly, you don't just shove them off as as sometimes as worthless as our culture sometimes does. No, you treat them with respect and you take care of them. And and what is the reason for keeping all those rules horizontally? Because you're my people. Because that's the kind of God I am. That's what it means to be holy. Let me get down to where you live. There are two types of parents at times. There are what I call transcendent parents. And there are imminent parents. Both are an aberration of who God is. Let me tell you how. See, transcendent parents are rule-dominated. So every time they have a problem with their kids, their answer is to put a rule on it. And so they put a rule on everything, to stop stuff that shouldn't be going on and start stuff that should. You're going to have a rule. If you do, you, you don't, this is what the consequences are. And surely there must be that in the home, correct? But to be a good child can often be confused to be measured by how well you keep the rules. So we tell our kids, don't cause any trouble, do what you're told, be seen and not heard, and why should you do it? Because I said so. You never said any of those things, right? So these are parents who are transcendent. In other words, I'm over you, way over you. I am sovereign. I am the parent. I am the adult. You're the child. And in principle, all those things are true and right. But what they don't realize is that rules without a relationship leads to rebellion. 
And so you tell your kids, you can't do this, you can't do this, and you can't do that, but you don't spend time with them, and you don't do, go to their games, and you're too busy making a living, and carving out a new vacation, and a, getting a fancier car, and you don't pay them a time of day other than maybe sitting together at meals. And you don't have a relationship with them, but you're going to enforce it because your motivation is, I want them to turn out right. Transcendent parents, up here, down here, all the rules, no relationship virtually. The other ones are imminent parents, and they are relationship dominant. And so their answer to everything is to maintain peace in all possible ways they possibly can. And all that really matters is their child's heart. I don't want my child doing something if they're really not into it. You know, go clean your room. Eh, If you don't have a right attitude, I guess you don't have to. And so today, in young people, in in young 20s and 30s, the the main thing is to be transparent. You know, I can't do that, Pastor Walker, because, you know, my heart, I just don't feel like I should do that. (laughs) So these are people who says they minimize rules. And they have the opposite. They have a relationship with no rules. Because most importantly, as a mom or dad, they don't try to be the authority. They just try to be their friend. In fact, I've heard of people who at 16 years old, their kids are 16, and they're giving them, oh, you have the option. If you don't want to go to church anymore, that's fine. You want to have that boyfriend? Okay. Because you don't want to cause any waves. You don't want them to, you don't want to be on their bad side. You don't want to lose them because you're afraid of all the negative repercussions of what might happen if you actually enforce some rules. So you got parents over at one side, you got the transparent parents, and you got the imminent, transcendent parents and the imminent parents, and you got all rules, no relationship, all relationship with no rules, and neither one of those work. Neither one of those work. You know why? Because they don't mirror God. What is God? He is both transcendent and imminent. He is sovereign. He is God. He is different. He is over us. He commands us. But at the same time, he comes near to us and approaches us. See, it's not rules or a relationship. It's rules and a relationship. See, rules only or relationship only approaches don't work. You know why? Here's what happens. See, if this isn't your kids. Rules only, kids, end up thinking I'm already good enough. See, I kept the rules. And it wasn't until I was 12, and really till I was 15, that I really got a hold of what salvation was, because I was already keeping the rules. I wasn't like the kids that were in, in our community who were doing this on the weekends and having this girlfriend and sn- sneaking beer and whatever else it was. I wasn't doing any of that. I was on the Bible quiz team. Are you kidding me? I had my hair cut. No pencil necessary. I was a good guy. Really? I was. No, I wasn't. On the outside, I was. I didn't think I needed any of that. I thought I was good. I didn't really, do I really need Jesus? And I heard the message of Jesus dying from the cross so many times. Are you kidding me? I never once thought I needed to do anything with it. I kept the rules. See? But relationship-only kids, you know what happens to them? They think this, I don't really need the rules. And they think in their heart, even though their life is so far from God, here's what they say. I said a magical prayer when I was 10. And so do I really need the rules? So I'm going to live the way I was before I even said the magical prayer. And there's no difference in their life. You know why? Because their whole life they've been taught this. You don't really need the rules. Just be sincere about your love for God. But unfortunately, sincerity doesn't have any actions or lifestyle with it. So it isn't real. 
What would it look like in a relationship with God if you did both? If you kept the right balance and tension between the rules and the relationship. Well, verse 44 tells us with two commands. Ready? Consecrate yourselves and don't defile yourselves. See how the negative and the positive are put together? Consecrate says get yourself ready. Prepare yourself to be in the presence of a holy God. So you don't just walk into church. Oh, by the way, I'm, not the, I'm running. No, it's not the idea of church. It's not to come in the last minute and leave as soon as it's over. You know, what's, you know what the idea is? I'm ready for I'm preparing for My whole life is pushing towards Sunday morning, and it's the climax of my week. And I'm coming, and I come early, and I get a seat. You know why? Because I'm come to serve other people and to love God. And I, I want to think about other people's needs, and I want to think about how God great he is. And I might pray before the service. I might stay home and read my Bible before I come. You know why? I'm devoted. I consecrate myself to him. Now, I'm not going to church Sunday morning, just throwing my Bible in the car, getting my good dress clothes on, coming to church as if it's some sort of religious obligation. That's not holiness. But I have a consecration. I consecrate my, you know why? Because I belong to him. Because that's who he is. He's my God. And so I consecrate myself to him on the inside and the outside. But that's not all. It says, and don't defile yourself. So you know why? Because I'm coming to worship in his presence with God's people on Sunday. So all week long, you know what? I don't want to look at anything on the internet that's wrong. I don't want to watch this on television if it has that kind of stuff in. Why? Because I'm a goody two-shoes. No, because he's my God. And I don't want to do anything that defiles myself. I don't. I want to live for him because I'm not my own. Listen to how Paul talks about it. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 says this, that he who should live no longer for himself, but for him who died for him and was raised on the third day. Now listen, where do you get the ability not to live for yourself, to say no to things and say yes to other things? You know what he says in the previous verse? For the love of Christ compels me. And the word compels me is to move, to motivate me, to move by force. He says, you know what? I've got holiness on the inside. And can I tell you folks, that's the only way you could have holiness on the outside. The only way that you could come to church in that way, the only way that you could love God that way is because he has loved you and his love is inside of you and is pushing you to consecrate yourself to him and not defile yourself. So it's positive and negative. That's what relational holiness is. Odysseus is a Greek mythical character. And I read the Greek myths growing up. And he was on an adventure. And in order to the complete the adventure, he had to take his boat with all of his sailors and warriors past the island of the Sirens. The Sirens were these beautiful women and when you got close enough to their island and your boat, they would sing their song. And if you listened to it, it would mesmerize you and it would compel you to come over, dock your boat, get off to see these women. And then you didn't know it as beautiful as they looked, but when they opened their mouth, they had sharp teeth and they would kill you and eat you. It was a crazy story. But the idea was people would be wrecked because they wouldn't realize because the song was so beautiful and the women were so beautiful that they couldn't control themselves. So Odysseus, knowing that story, 
said that when we go by the island of the sirens, I'm, gonna st- I'm not going to go all the way around it like people do. I'm going right by it. He goes, but I want you to do this. I want you to tie me to the mast with ropes. And no matter how much I scream and beg you, never untie them. So everybody else on the boat stopped up their ears, and they tied Odysseus to the mast. And when he went by, the siren song began to sing, and he begged them and pleaded. He told them that if they did not let him out, that when he was out of this, he was going to kill every one of them. They wouldn't let him go. And you know what? Eventually he got past the siren song and they untied untied him and he was okay. There was another story, though, in Greek mythology of Jason and the Argonauts. Argo was the name of their boat. The people on board were the Argonauts. Jason said, I I know the Odysseus story. He goes, but I want to do better than that. We're going to pass the island of the sirens and you don't have to tie me to the mast. They they got all worried because they thought that was the end of him and all of them. He says, we're going to hire Orpheus. Orpheus was the most talented musician in the world. And so they hired him, set him up on on, on on the boat, and when they got even remotely close to the island and the sirens were about to sing, Jason looks at Orpheus and says, start playing, and he did. His music was so beautiful and mesmerizing that they went all the way past the sirens. They were singing out their best. He never gave it one bit of attention because the song that he was playing was far sweeter. Now, which one would you like to be? Would you like to live your Christian life and the reason that you say no to certain things or say yes to things, and you know what it is? They have to tie you down. You really want to do them, and you, you know you shouldn't, but you want to. And the only reason you don't is just to tie yourself down. Now, that's one way, and if that's all that you have, that's better than nothing. But can I tell you there's another alternative? Is that there could be a sweeter song, that the sirens of this world and the t- temptations of sin, they sing in your ear, But would to God we'd raise a generation of teenagers and that we'd have their parents as examples of people who live their lives listening to a sweeter song. The fact of holiness in Jesus and who he is and what he's done, that knowing him and having a relationship because of who he is, that would be the thing that compels us, that we wouldn't have to be tagged down because we're not interested in those things because we are interested in him because of who he is. So there's a connection, isn't there, between law and love? We keep the law because we love. And that's what Leviticus wants us to know. This is who God is. And when you know him, and when you love him, you'll want to do what he wants you to do and keep his commandments because it's a sweeter song to you. But there are two, right, two relational reasons for holiness. One is because of who God is. But notice the second one. See the verse 45, the little word for at the beginning? There's a second reason, and it's because of what God has done. What, who God is and what God has done. What has he done? Well, look at verse 45. For I am the Lord, same, same word, who brought you up. See, this is the difference. The other verse doesn't have this addendum. It says, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Now, the rest of it's the same. Your God, be holy for... It's all the same. But the added phrase in verse 45 is this. Know who I am is connected to what I did. And you know what I did for you? I brought you out of the land of Egypt. See, you were a slave, and I freed you. 
So Exodus comes before Leviticus. Exodus is the basis for Leviticus. Exodus, Exodus is the power for Leviticus. Exodus is the motivation for Leviticus. In other words, because I got you out of Egypt and I shed the blood and I freed you and I redeemed you, that's why you should live holy for me. You see, here's what salvation is. It is not just the freedom from sin, it's the freedom for holiness. And if you think that holiness by subtraction can happen in your life without holiness plus, I should, plus addition, you're wrong. Holiness for God is a relationship that doesn't just stay away from the bad things, but it delights and desires and has a passion for all of the good things. And that's why nine times in the book of Leviticus, you can see him for yourself, nine times he says, this is why you do what you do. Here it is, ready? Because I delivered you out of Egypt. Because I delivered you out of Egypt. Over and over and over, he wants it ringing in their ears. You know why you don't do that when I tell you not to? And why you should do this? Because I saved you. I redeemed you. You were a slave, and you're not anymore. Can I tell you, as you're turning to Romans 6, please, as we close, salvation is not going from slavery to no slavery. Rather, it is going from slavery to sin to slavery to God. Spiritual freedom Listen to me. Spiritual freedom is not a life that has no master. It is a life that has the right master. Romans chapter 6. Would you let me close with that this morning? Romans chapter 6 reads this. In verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Well, we're not under Torah and Leviticus anymore. Yes. So how do you live then? By no means, double negative, may it never be true. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are the slaves of the one whom you obey? Now, get this. Every person in this room is a slave. That, that's a given. It's not if you are. The question is, whose slave are you spiritually? Who is it? Now, he gives options. Ready? You are either of sin. There's two masters. Either sin or God or righteousness. Now watch. Two masters, and they have those slave masters lead somewhere. Where does being slave to sin lead you? Well, it leads you to death. But if you have slave be obedience, it will lead to righteousness, the opposite. So God says, hey, remember all the rules I told you in the New Testament? I want you to... No, he's not just interested, although it's part of it. It's not just external conformity. Listen, what is holiness in the New Testament? What is salvation? It's holiness in your heart. Listen to what he says, verse 70. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And now, having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Now, if you're saying, Pastor Walker, that's not a very good term to use in our culture because of all the racial tension. Paul says, I understand that because I'm speaking in human terms. I'm only using it to show you the relationship of sin to your life and God to your life. And he says, 
For just as you were once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now, now that you have Jesus, you present your members as slaves to righteousness, which leads to holiness. Did you see it? Which leads to sanctification. It's the word for holiness. So if you really know God and you really have a relationship with him, you know how to show it? By a holy life. And so here's what I conclude. That if you don't have a holy life and you're not interested in living that way, it's probably because the relationship is not there. It's not there. And that's not because holy means you're perfect or sinless. We all have struggles with that. But if there is no desire to live apart from God, to be consecrated and dedicated, and you love the things of God, and you love coming to church, and you love the Bible and serving other people, if that's not of interest to you, the relationship isn't there. Because here's what it leads to, holiness. Now remember how we really emphasized the little word for in the Leviticus passage? Well, Paul's going to do it here too. Three times. Verse 20, 21, and 23. Watch. He's going to give you reasons why you should present your members for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit has that? In other words, what are you going to get out of that? How radical, let me me say, Pastor Walker, seriously, if I don't have a desire for holiness, let me tell you how radical the transformation is when you go from one slave master to another. He says, remember the things that you used to do? Now you are ashamed of them. I've heard testimony after Pastor Walker. Before I became a Christian, I used to live this life, and I don't even want to tell you what I did. I want to tell you how I talked. This is my morals. These were my values. This this is how I spent my money. This is how I viewed people. And and they tell me story after story of how their life was. And when you become a Christian, here's the change. It's not just a change somewhere down the road to go to heaven. It's a change now. It's a change in your holiness. It's a desire and a passion for God. And the things you used to do, you don't do them anymore. I don't, I still don't, I don't cuss, I don't, I don't do, I don't, I'm not out to find satisfaction in the bottom of a bottle at the end of the needle or in someone else's bed. You know why? Because my heart's been changed. And I have a different kind of holiness, and it leads somewhere, he says. For the end of those things, verse 21, is death. See, these opposite polar extremes are for a reason. There's no middle ground when it comes to holiness. But here's our text as we close. But now, you have been set free. Can I tell you about this? Do you remember, this is very trite, but you remember in Aladdin where the genie gave him two wishes and he messed them all up and he gave up hope because he was so selfish. He never thought that he'd ever say, genie, have the third wish. I wish you to be free. Remember that? But see, genie could never, he was in the slavery of being a genie in the bottle for millennia. No one had ever come around and said, you can have my last wish and be free. He could never be free on his own. See, Aladdin had to say, I wish you free. He was waiting for someone to free him because he could never free himself. Let me tell you a more theological illustration. Don't picture salvation as sin is your master and God is your master and you're standing in the middle and you have the power looking at the two options to choose for yourself. That is not Bible accuracy. Here's what it is. You've already chosen your master, and it's sin. And God, in his grace and mercy, had to send his son Jesus, because you were already a slave to sin, leading to death. And he had to send his son, and his son died on the cross, because he has the power 
to exchange and transform you from this master to this master. And he had to come to you to do it because you never would have come to him on your own. That's salvation. And unless you see yourself this morning as in that condition, and that's how deep and, and, and dark your slavery is, you'll never think that you need to come in because you think you can just keep keeping the rules. It isn't enough. And so he says, you know what? Here's the holiness you need. You need to be freed by someone else, and that someone else is Jesus. So here's what it means. No matter how bad your sin slavery is, no matter how long your sin slavery has been in your life, no matter what that sin slavery has had you do and the things that you were embarrassed about or you would never mention in public, no matter what all of that is, here's what God says. You can have freedom. Now, our culture, ask our young, not, hopefully not our, Young people in our culture, they think freedom is nobody telling me what to do. I can't tell you as a youth pastor how many kids I had tell me this. I can't wait to graduate from high school because I'm going to move out and then my parents will never be able to tell me what to do and no one will have authority over me. And I politely said, that's a joke. That's our world's definition of freedom. No one telling me what to do, but it is not God's. You always have someone telling you what to do, Right? Just try to speed a little bit and they'll have them pull you over. They'll tell you what to do. Commit a crime and see what you get. But here's what God says biblical freedom is. You know what biblical freedom is? Not having no authority over you, but having the right authority over you. And the right authority is God. See, that's freedom. Pastor Walker, how can I have that freedom? I'll tell you what. I'm, I'm beginning to see how deceitful the, free, the, the slavery to sin has been in my life. It always promises me this, and it never comes through. How can I have this freedom? Let me quote with 623, last verse. For the wages of sin is what? But the free gift of God is eternal life through King Jesus. Can I tell you this? Freedom, spiritually, eternally, from your sin, it is free. Freedom is free but it cost Jesus everything. It cost him his life. He died to free you. He shed his blood so that you could be forgiven. And he dedicated himself to God so that you could be holy. If you've never put your faith and trust in him, that he died and rose again for your sins, you can do that today. You can call on him to be your savior. You can say, it's not my religion. It's not how good I am, not how holy I am. It's who you are, God, and what you've done. And by faith today, I, I, I want to stop being religious, and I want to have a relationship with you, a real relationship, not just to get out of heaven, although that's a nice <laughs> result, right? But so that I can live for you and be holy every day as you are holy. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, maybe you're here this morning and you've been here a while or maybe you've been here more recently. But you'd say, Pastor, I know God. I, I mean, I know of Him. I know the Bible somewhat. I, I'm religious. I've been to church. I know the rules. And you might even boast slightly that I've kept a pretty good number of them. Can I tell you, my friend, don't let the deceitfulness of that slavery fool you. 
you need a relationship with God. You cannot free yourself. You have to be freed by Him. And if you're here this morning and you've come to that realization, I invite you. We're going to sing Victory in Jesus. I'll be down front. I know it's hard to walk down front. It doesn't earn you any favor with God to step out and walk down here, but what it does is gives you an opportunity for someone here at our church to take the Bible and show you how today you can begin a relationship with God that will change your life now and forever. You can please come, even if you're in the balcony. It's not going to be a problem. We'll wait. But let me tell you this. If you are a Christian, I mean, you really know God, who He is and what He's done, and you have freedom, are you satisfied in living in defeat? Do you think that the holiness that you offer God is compelled by love? I mean, is the dedication and devotion that you show, is it motivated because of who he is and what he's done for you, or have you forgotten? Your freedom should result in holiness. Christian, my question is, does it? Does it really? If not, maybe that's what you need to decide today, that I'm going to live a life of holiness that's worthy of who he is and what he's done. Master, I pray that your spirit would take the word of God, mix it with faith, as Hebrews says, and change and transform lives for eternity, that they might find today, many, that you are the only master that they ever need. Make it so, Lord, by your power and for your glory. In Jesus' matchless name I pray. Amen.